Hi, this is the A. I'm Reg Clay. And Norman G. And we're here to talk about life in the theater and the theater of life. Yeah. We have a fantastic guest. He is the artistic director and the founder of Off-Broadway West, Richard Harder. How's it going, man? That's going great. Fantastic. Welcome aboard. <laughs> and as the music dies down, Norman, how's, it, how's your day, man? My day... You, I'm going to wish your mom happy birthday. Uh, I did start my day off right. I mm-hmm. knew it was my mom's birthday, and I finally remembered that she actually celebrates the birthdays the same day as that, that guy who used to work in Washington. Yeah, strange name. Barack Hussein Obama, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, that, that guy. guy. Yeah, 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 yeah. That Irish guy, Obama. <laughs> I, I kind of remember him somewhere. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah so um, today's her birthday. Oh, wonderful. And, happy birthday. You know, and it's funny. It's it's been an ongoing thing with the year. So you ask how my day is. This has been my first week with nothing to do. Oh like, wow! Is there a week like that? Didn't get paid. <laughs> didn't have to make a meeting. Didn't do nothing. Yeah. This wow. Week. And and that was freaky. Because I thought that was going to happen in mid in late May, and yeah. it, it has just gone and gone and gone. And so I was mm-hmm. like, Ooh, how do I manage all of this? I'm always worried because I know you are, I mean, as an actor, I mean, all of us act a little bit, but you truly are. I mean, if you're not working, then you're not getting paid. I mean, that's my assumption. So, Well, and it's, I did. I got paid on a thing I didn't think I'd get paid for. We were just doing an in-house read of a script, and the playwright was like, I appreciate you all so much. I'm going to pay your parking. I'm like, I came on my bike. She said, give me your um, PayPal. <laughs> Uh-huh. Information. I'm going to send you some money. I'm like, okay. Well, that was nice. nice. It that was, was wonderful. Good. That was mm-hmm. great. But um, so as I outlined on Facebook about my mother and her year, uh, two new great grandbabies, twins. Um, they've been up to Portland to see the other new baby, great grandbaby. Um, she just got back. They went. They drove up to Indianapolis, where we're from, to go to the um, family reunion, which she hasn't gone to in a while. And she and all of her surviving siblings were there. So that's the first time in years mm-hmm. they've all been together. Then they drove to Texas to see these little babies. Mm-hmm. Then they drove back to California. That's a lot of driving. That's a lot of driving. Yeah. They like to drive. <laughs> um, so <laughs> That must have a very good car, too. Yeah. So I opened – they just got a new car. So nice. I opened it with – I didn't get you a present this year. But let's, let's review your year because your year has been pretty special. And I've been down there two or three times. I think I've been down there twice. They pass through town because my my niece is up in Portland. Huh. They drive up there and drive back. So okay. to see that other baby, they drove up there, stopped at my place for lunch, and then drove back down. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Just, just crazy. Uh, so I've been watching this go on, and I'm like, you've got this going on, that going on. Y'all drove all over the place, which means you're in pretty good health. Um, we've seen each other, and they're going to come up in November to see Hamlet. So which Hamlet? Because there are three productions. We talked about this last my week. My Hamlet, your uh, Hamlet. That's right. No, uh, the Arabian <coughs> Chase. Be the no, there's, a, there's another Hamlet. There's an opera Hamlet. I actually got offered tickets tonight. Did you know tonight. about this, Richard Harder? Uh, there are three Hamlets going on as of right now. There's a Hamlet revival happening. Well, you know, we have to adjudicate shows for TVA. <laughs> and so you know, oh, you're looking, and, right. and it's like, and, and you go down the list of productions to figure out what you want to want to you know go adjudicate, adjudicate. Yeah. And you're going. Hamlet. Okay, that sounds like uh, Hamlet. Uh, Hamlet. Mm-hmm. And it's it's interesting because one of the things that you know we always have to consider mm-hmm. in choosing productions right. is we try to stay away from something that recently has been done. So mm-hmm. we, you know, right. we wait two to three years maybe, mm-hmm. 
And the other thing is we're in, we have to be kind of quiet about what we want to do. We don't publicize it because it can be snatched. Right. And so I'm looking at these productions and I'm going, how do they all get the rights or right. someone else wasn't doing this? And you figure, well, maybe they're just doing a pirate version. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Which is also going on. I forget what the show is, but that's going on right, right. now. So it's really, is there a production going on that they uh, didn't get the rights for? Yeah. yeah. Oh, no, they got the rights. Okay. They got the rights. They cut 45 minutes of the script. Yeah. And wow. the playwright just posted today, just like screaming, saying, I can't believe oh, they yeah. do that. It's illegal. You yeah. can't do it. Yeah. He said um, they asked, the folks that represent him asked if he wanted to shut the show down. Right. He said, no, just let them know they need to make an announcement about that. Well, so they're they, lucky. They're very lucky. They put up a thing in their program that says warning in red letters, and it's <laughs> stamped over what they already have. Mm-hmm. And he said, that just looks stupid. It makes it look like it's part of the production. Right. So now he's asking them to change that. And I'm like, it just gets crazy. That's the inappropriateness of the, what, director, producer, I guess, whoever runs the company. I mean, the director might say, we need to cut this down, but Mm -hmm. it's the producer who signs the paperwork saying they're doing the show. So it's the producer who has to make that decision. I think it's it's an interesting conundrum, Mm -hmm. okay, because the first thing I feel you need to do is really pick good work mm-hmm. by playwrights that you pretty much know. Or if you know, like the last play we did with Patricia Milton, who mm-hmm. was a local playwright who I think should be a national mm-hmm. playwright because mm-hmm. she is an absolutely incredible, fabulous Have you heard playwright. the name before? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, gosh, she is one of the most incredible, outstanding writers I've ever seen in my life. Mm-hmm. And I don't see too many good writers in mm-hmm. this new genre of writing. You know? yeah. And hopefully it's going to change because the social fabric of the world is changing. And so that gives writers a lot of material. Yeah. But first, you pick really good plays mm-hmm. by good playwrights, and then you don't have to cut so much. I mean, in the 10 years that we have been mm-hmm. in business, I can't even remember if I did cut anything from one of the plays. Yeah. Now, the opposite side of that, in my background, <laughs> Harold Clerman, mm-hmm. uh, Gene Shelton, mm-hmm. said, you know, the, the mantra was, a good play is a cut play. Huh. And and what they meant by that is when you're going through the play, if there's something that's in there that <coughs> that actually is superfluous, mm-hmm. then and doesn't move the plot forward or doesn't affect the development of the character, whatever, mm-hmm. the spine of the play, mm-hmm. then get rid of it because mm-hmm. it affects the rhythms as, as you move through the play. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's because you're looking at a playwright's work. And because a lot of pl- – I mean, we've worked with playwrights that said, oh, it's done, it's perfect. And I've always respected playwrights that, that would sit in. I mean, you don't let playwrights sit in rehearsal. Hmm. Uh, there's only <laughs> there's only two playwrights in mm-hmm. my life that ever sat in on rehearsals. Mm-hmm. One was Robert Alexander, mm-hmm. okay, who was a fabulous playwright. He did most of his really good work in the 70s and 80s. Mm-hmm. And he would come into rehearsal, and if there was something that wasn't working, he immediately sat down and started rewriting. Mm-hmm. And Patricia Milton. You know, she asked me before we started, because this was a world premiere, brand new play that she wrote about mm-hmm. the, death, the death penalty issue. And, and she says, well, how, how do you feel about me sitting in a rehearsals? I said, well, you know something? I, I have no problem with that. Mm-hmm. Just remember that I have the final say. Now, I, I direct. Uh, well, first of all, I pick really good actors to work with. So mm-hmm. they, they know how to do the work. And you know from working with us, mm-hmm. we always have really good actors. So yeah. that that's part is easy. Mm-hmm. 
the script analysis aspect of it is a collaborational thing. Yeah. And I, because I have good actors who are real pros, I respect their opinions on stuff. And, mm-hmm. and I look at it and I go, okay, they'll say, oh, Richard, uh, can I do this? Try this, you know, try it this way. Mm-hmm. And I always tell them, okay, try it. If it works for your character, mm-hmm. then you've got another choice. Yeah. So in that five, six weeks or whatever we're doing, if you get mm-hmm. bored one night and say, gosh, I'm tired of doing it this way, you know you can make that other choice and it's not going to offset the other actors. It's, it's true to your character or mm-hmm. whatever, whatever. Yeah. So Patricia sat in during our rehearsal period and there were times when she would sit there and say, you know, oh, I don't like that. That's not working whatever. So she went mm-hmm. and redid stuff. Mm-hmm. She must have done three or four rewrites mm-hmm. in terms of portions of the play. Sure. Yeah. But all it did was bring clarity. Yeah. Here's a question for you. We had Cricket Dickerson on uh, earlier today, and he talked about there was a situation where the director was also the playwright, and he talked about how much power that person had. So if an actor said, wait, wait a minute, I don't agree with you know this or that or whatever, he felt he was in a detriment because – you know, the director slash playwright's like, no, I did it this way. I want it done this way. Uh, I am adamant about several of those kinds of issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, you cannot be a director and be the playwright mm-hmm. because you lose your objectivity. And yeah. the creative process, and like I said, you know, script analysis of plays is the key to a successful play. When actors all know everything about what they're saying and mm-hmm. why. Uh, and it helps them develop their character, and they become that character. Mm-hmm. It's that enveloping kind of thing that De Niro talks about. And so, and so you can't direct and be the playwright. You're too close to it. It's too personal. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other thing is you cannot act in theater and direct a play. Uh, we've had that experience, mm-hmm. and I've seen it, and it does not work. Yeah. You need to you because as a director you have to pay attention to so many details and all these things and you can't and I did a play one time and it was a wonderful play we had a great run with it Ladies of the Camellias mm-hmm. but the director was also in the play mm-hmm. Barbara was in that right right absolutely yeah, right. yeah, yeah. she was wonderful but you know I didn't get to rehearse my scene with this act with this director actor mm-hmm. until maybe three nights before we started runs yeah and I mean that's very unnerving. And, and you just can't do it. You just, it just well, and people work. will point to some example of it, but that's the exception. <laughs> right, right, right. It is. It is yeah, yeah, I think it's so. It's really hard. I think so. Talk a little bit about Off-Broadway. <laughs> ten, ten years. That's a pretty good run. My pride and joy. Where, yeah. where, our, where are you our, at? All right. Uh, we started Off-Broadway West Theater Company ten seasons ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, we work out of the Phoenix Theater. Yep. With the wonderful Linda Ayers Frederick. Who will be on next week. Yes. Oh. And she's been a wonderful... Landlord slash colleague mm-hmm. for us, um, and we started that theater company because of the failure of another company we were part of. Mm. Where and, and it was interesting because I never planned on being a director mm-hmm. until maybe now mm-hmm. in my old age. Mm-hmm. And I had been to Los Angeles and I came back mm-hmm. <coughs> to to the Bay Area. Um, and at that time, I decided to apprentice with my mentor, Jean mm-hmm. Shelton. Mm-hmm. I did that for nine years, and I love her to death. She's made me who I am today in this business. Um, and then I went through a period, personal period, mm-hmm. where I just needed to get away from everything. Mm-hmm. And so I call myself going into the basement. Mm-hmm. And I learned to really enjoy my own company and love me yeah. and not be giving so much to other people who didn't appreciate it. And, and for two and a half years, I did that. And it was liberating. Mm-hmm. And I came back and I went back to Jean's. And there was a new group of people there. Mm-hmm. And they had a little theater company from the thing. And she 
was doing these four one acts by Tennessee Williams, and mm -hmm. she couldn't finish the project. She says, "Well, why don't you have Richard do it?" And they said, oh, "We don't know him." Well, she mm -hmm. knew me, mm -hmm. so she said, "No, no, 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 no." You know, and I had never directed, mm -hmm. so I thought, "Okay." So I did it. Mm -hmm. It was really good. We had a great time, and I really started. To, I said, "Wow, this is kind of fun. This mm -hmm. is cool." So I joined their little group and whatever, whatever. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, there were people in that group that didn't have the kind of professional stand. I'm, I'm really terrible with this, mm -hmm. but they didn't have uh, the professional the professionalism, stand. Yeah. The professionalism that I demand of myself, sure, first and foremost. Mm -hmm. And then I got to be around people like that. Yeah. And so we decided that we would break away from that. Mm -hmm. And so Barbara, who at the time I wasn't involved with, but, you know, that grew, mm -hmm. and Michael Medici. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, we started Opera Lost Air Company. And um, then Michael left. Um, and we've gone some, through some transitions over the years. And we've, we've always gotten rid of kind of like people that just didn't want to do it the way we felt it needed to be sure. done. And then we always got better people. Yeah. So we've grown. Yeah. And yet, right now, we we just added two new people. Uh, we lost one or two people. Hmm. Two incredible actors and good people, professionals. Mm -hmm. So we've got a solid core of six very intelligent. Yeah. We have Adam Simpson on. I don't yeah. know if you listen to that podcast, well, but Adam's Adam, fantastic. Adam is the best, and he has just been wonderful addition for our company. He saved our bacon mm -hmm. in the play. We lost an, uh, an actor who is boss at his job said, well, now you've got to work at night. Mm -hmm. What play was this? We were doing How the Other Half Loves uh -huh. by Alan Ackborn, and of course, it's a very complicated play because it's 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 simultaneous dinner parties on the same night. Oh. And you have to, technically, you've got to do all this stuff. And Adam came in and in two weeks learned the role. He was mm -hmm. wonderful, and we brought him in the company, and he's done a lot of really good roles for us. Yeah. Well, you see two posters of Absolutely. There. Hedda Gobbler and Master Harold. And Master Harold, absolutely. Yeah. And, and Adam was in both And he was in the Weir. Yeah, and, and the birthday party. And the birthday party. He Which won a TBA, uh, that's best right. of TBA. Right? That's right. And mm. so he, he's he's a tremendous actor. He's a wonderful human being. He's fun, mm -hmm. very creative because he's in the tech industry. He works, does games and stuff. And he, mm -hmm. we do all the posters. Yeah. And it's fun because we say, okay, Adam, what are we going to do with the poster? He says, well, let's figure this out, blah, blah, blah. And, he, and he'll send me a mock-up. Mm -hmm. And then we'll play with it and make it kind of cool. And, yeah. and we do. I'm big on color. And mm -hmm. so we just we do it, and we, we, we turn out incredible posters. Yeah. People think they're like movie uh, yeah. you know, marquee posters uh -huh. and stuff. Yeah. So he's extremely talented, very good actor. He's a great, great friend for us. Yeah. And we've got everybody in our company. We have no strife. Yeah. Here's a question for you, because we've been talking about the state of theater. There are a lot of companies that are battling uh, because of gentrification and, uh, you know, rising costs and uh, and also just tech. I mean, you talk about tech. Right. There are a lot of young kids who rather play video games and watch YouTube than come to the theater. So a lot of companies have fallen as a result. Right. How, do you, how does Off-Broadway still survive? Okay. All right. Well, you've, you've, touched, on, you've touched on two issues. Yeah. <coughs> the first thing is um, survival. Mm -hmm. Now, and, I'm, and I always have this, I don't, this, you know, I have to say this because I don't want people to think, oh, well, you think you're just, you know. But we have been phenomenally successful. Mm. Every show we have done for 10 years mm -hmm. has been a critical hit. We don't know what it's like not to have that. Mm. And it's because we we prove to mm -hmm. everybody each show. Mm -hmm. We don't li live on our laurels. We don't rest on our laurels. So we have to be the best 
and do the best work. And we work very hard at that. Mm-hmm. We choose really good stuff with a thought process in mind. We want people to come to theater, expand their worldview, mm-hmm. and be entertained. And we're lucky the Phoenix is a small theater, so they're mm-hmm. right on top of the action, so they get sucked into it. Yeah. And so we have been phenomenally successful. We've had uh, 30 critics awards, whether it's a Critics Circle or TVA mm-hmm. uh, nominations, mm-hmm. and uh, we've won five, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But just that's the re- track record we've had. I think for mm-hmm. a small theater, I think we probably have one of the most historically successful mm-hmm. theater companies in the Bay Area. Mm-hmm. But And you have a dedicated audience. You have an audience. Well, we have dedicated people that <laughs> they come, but it's that's the other issue. Mm-hmm. That your artistic success does not necessarily fill your bank account. Mm. And unfortunately now, the grant situation, too, mm-hmm. is like it's such a narrow focus that it's hard to qualify unless you've got some off-the-wall stuff or they like experimental, wild kind of crazy Oh, in other words, if you don't have some sort of a hook or whatever, you're not going to get the money. Well, you look at our theater company. Mm-hmm. We're very diverse. Mm-hmm. We have a an artistic director of color. Mm-hmm. We cast women a lot. And a lot of roles, so it's not like it's just one woman. We do plays that are, you know, mm-hmm. um, always that. We have every part of the, the social spectrum. Mm-hmm. We have gay actors. Mm-hmm. I had a young woman who was a transsexual who was my tech one time. That's right. Mm-hmm. I, we mentor high school kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, they come in. They've worked. We, our last show, we had mm-hmm. two African-American young people who were stage managing and did our tech. Awesome. Uh, so we mentor youth mm-hmm. at risk youth. Mm-hmm. We have kids. Uh, I've always done that. Um, so we've hit all the spectrum, and yet we've applied for some grants and cash grants and stuff, and we just can't even get a, mm-hmm. get a blink. Mm-hmm. And so it's gotten to be such a narrow focus. Yeah. Um, now, the, uh, that's the one part. And mm-hmm. we have some very wealthy people that come to mm-hmm. our, our theater, and they do give us some money, and then their corporation matches it. Mm-hmm. But we haven't found an, quote-unquote, an angel yet that just l- has a lot of money and just loves what we do. Mm-hmm. And we don't require much. Yeah. <laughs> if I could find an angel that would just give me anywhere from fifty to $100,000, yeah. I could do theater for five years. Yeah. Because the average show is about 15000 And we do make some money. We mm-hmm. roll over stuff. We've been able to do that. Yeah. With the last play, we did an Indiegogo, Indiegogo campaign mm-hmm. with Patricia for $10,000. And we raised ninety six. Wow. Hundred. So we did okay. So Indiegogo works. Yeah. Do you did, know about it, that? I do. Yeah. yeah. It did for us, but yeah. we had a very unique thing because we had a super f- fantastic playwright. Mm-hmm. She does have a little bit of a following, too. Mm-hmm. That helps. Yeah. But also, the, the subject matter was very interesting, mm-hmm. provocative, and thought-worthy. And there mm-hmm. wasn't one person that walked out of that, and I watch every night because I'm at the door right. thanking people to mm-hmm. come. And I gauge their reactions, and not, w- and I'm not exaggerating. Not one person walked out of that play, mm-hmm. not moved by the subject matter and the quality of the work they saw. Awesome. And so we felt very proud of that. And we we don't do world premieres by because mm-hmm. it's hard. Yeah, we don't have a big budget to have a, a bust. Yeah, and so we have to be very careful. Yeah. And we had talked about that, where a lot of companies will not take risks on new playwrights because. The audience wants to know, what am I seeing? Am I seeing something that I like? Right. Mm-hmm. Which is right. unfortunate because... It's, it's always a challenge. Yeah. What was the subject matter? This last play was basically the, 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 the death penalty. And what mm-hmm. happened was a young woman was raped and murdered. Mm-hmm. And they found the killer in Arizona. And he confessed, supposedly. And so they were going to extradite him back. And so the oldest daughter and the mother come together with an attorney who's from a legal organization to help mm-hmm. them make the decision as to 
what they want to do with this guy. He wants to strike a deal. He'll tell them where the body is buried if he gets life and is not executed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The conflict is the mother wants him executed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The daughter wants to get closure by having to, to bury her sister. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing. Was it, is it based on a real story? I mean, this no, is no, okay. no. Yeah. She, she. But but it is common. I mean, that 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 happens. Right. Yeah. It's a very difficult decision, and one of the things that I liked about it was the fact that that's one of the issues I don't argue with people about. Mm-hmm. There are several social issues that I feel there's a righteous reason for people being for or against mm-hmm. whatever they, whether it be the death penalty, whether it be guns, whether it be abortion, abortion mm-hmm. all those. And so I respect people's personal point of view, mm-hmm. and then you have public policy. Mm-hmm. And as a, as a majority type of government, and mm-hmm. I mean, you know, you, you, you try to take care of your, your country first. Right. And so you're entitled to your opinion, and that's fine. Mm-hmm. But as a country, we all believe this. So it was a very provocative subject matter. And I, the irony of it is is that Patricia Milton is against the death penalty. Mm. The other irony is that, that our wonderful company member and uh, and actor, uh, Sylvia Creightons, who played the mother, ah, Sylvia, she's against yeah. the death penalty. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so for the actor, it was a, an incredible challenge for mm-hmm. them to now put themselves in that. And she wrote uh, – uh, Patricia wrote a very objective view. Mm-hmm. And then the young lawyer, the lawyer who was helping them, also had his own personal story, which was part of the, the whole issue around mm-hmm. it. So it was a very provocative play. It was a very thought-worthy play. Mm-hmm. We, I mean, people were moved. I mean, some people walked out of, in tears. Yeah. So it's, it's a powerful, powerful subject. Yeah. And so we were very proud of that production. That's awesome. Um, but like I said, for 10 years we've done this, <coughs> and we've worked very hard. Let's go to this other real issue yeah. that's facing a lot of theaters today, mm-hmm. and that is who's coming to your plays yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. and w- our average theater attendee mm-hmm. probably would start anywhere from 40 on up Yeah, and one of the problems that I've seen in my own self analysis and I could be totally wrong about this mm-hmm. uh, somebody might come along and say no you're wrong 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 but this is my observation is yeah. the fact that when I started doing theater in the 80s, <coughs> theater was the vehicle for working and middle-class people to come for an evening that was relatively inexpensive at the time. You know, a top ticket might be 20 bucks, mm-hmm. 25 bucks, mm-hmm. and, but you could get the in for t- ticket, 10 right. or 15, right. right? And we had 11 or 12 wonderful, incredible theaters mm-hmm. coming out of the 70s and into yeah. the 80s yeah. that mm-hmm. were here in the Bay Area that were just doing gangbusters. And, of mm-hmm. course, the Magic was the big – and Berkeley Rep, but Magic was the big kahuna with, with – with, um, Shepherd. Uh, Sam Shepard. Yeah. And so theater was like vibrant. Over here you had the Oakland Ensemble Theater Company and that's when also mm-hmm. the, the Asian American Theater Company, the one act theater company which I was a member of was the top one act theater company in the country. Mm, yeah. And so, you know, we theater was slamming. Yeah. And then of course the economics of the Bay Area over the last thirty years yeah. has pushed those people away. Yeah. So now they're living out in the suburbs and they're not coming back. If they do come back, they'll come back to the big shows. There'll be something at ACT or the, 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 the you know the, right, the, right, the, the exactly. traveling shows the or whatever. Yeah. That's right. But yeah. they're not coming to Little Off Broadway West Theater Company unless they know us, know mm-hmm. about us, yeah. and it's worth the effort to them. Yeah. But the millennials mm-hmm. are the ones that are the hard ones because, yeah. like you said earlier, mm-hmm. they haven't been raised. Theater's generational. That's right. I'm from New York. You go, you go to the theater as a child. You mm-hmm. take your kids to the theater. They take their kids to the theater. Mm-hmm. And that, I'm sure that happens in all the major theater towns, Chicago, Washington, D.C., Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. Even in places like Louisville has a big theater thing, Minneapolis, St. Paul. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, and here in the Bay Area, usually Seattle has a great thriving theater. Mm-hmm. So people take their kids to theater, and their kids – my kids go to theater. 
Right. I mean, that's what they do. I took them to theater when they were six and nine. Yeah. I mean, my youngest sat through Gary Glenn Ross at least six or eight times because wow. I had her. I was, you know, I had her on. The, I had her on the weekends, and yeah. and here she was. And I mean, Glenn Gary Glenn Ross is a pretty deep play. Yeah. She developed a vocab- well, but, let's hope <laughs> vocabulary. But, but 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 the thing was yeah. was the fact. No, but that, that's fantastic. But Go ahead. She, she goes to theater. Yeah. And so most of the millennials, though, they're going to read it on computers. Yeah. Right. And what, what, what do they see? They go to movies that are like the, the DC comic things with the splash. Yeah, the right. CGI's. Uh, Wonder Woman, yeah. yeah. And your senses are bombarded with light and sound and, and all that. So yeah. your attention – and they're on computers. Yeah. So their attention span is that of a nap. Yeah. So when they do come, it's really interesting. When they come, they cannot believe that they're sitting there. Mm-hmm. And this is happening live. Mm-hmm. And nobody's going right. to stop and say, oh, excuse me, we blew a line. and We, we jumped a page. We're going to go right. back. Yeah. Right. So, and it's dangerous to them, and it's yeah. exciting, and they do respond positively. It's yeah. not that. That's not their issue. Yeah. But mm-hmm. it's not part of their lifestyle. Yeah. Right. I mean, you have to prepare them. You know, we do the announcements at the beginning, but you've yeah. got to totally make sure. You can't get up and go to the restroom. You can't yeah. talk. You can't I'll, text. You can't. I was going to say, when I stage managed, because I, I was stage managed for you for at least three, actually four productions. That's so right. We did Lifetimes 3, and you had to remind the audience members, listen, this is not the movie theater. Mm-hmm. You can't just interrupt and walk and, you know, mm-hmm. while things are going on. Uh, that's right. And we've yeah, had yeah, that yeah, happen. Yeah. Even with that, we've had that oh, happen. Oh, sure. Oh, yeah. So the thing is. No, is you see the New York stories. And it, it's oh. hilarious to see all the stories of that's right. somebody getting into a conversation on their cell phone and some major Star Broadway saying, star saying, hey. stopping the show and just nailing yeah, that's right. them. That's right. Yeah. And so. That's one of their issues is that they just don't know theater. And they, they like it when they come. But I have a colleague, mm-hmm. great family friends. You know, mm-hmm. the families are very close. Yeah. And their son, mm-hmm. who is now studying with me, actually, mm-hmm. um, came to the last show. And so I was doing a little personal kind of thing. I gave a talk at USF to mm-hmm. a bunch of young students who are theater students. And their assignment was to come see the play. Mm-hmm. And then I gave a talk there. But my personal inquiry was, what does it take to get you to come to the theater? Mm-hmm. And a lot of them at USF, their thing was, well, you know, it was it's a contemporary issue. And I had to do that and say, well, but throughout history, we've had the same type of thing. It's right. not necessarily contemporary. It might be contemporary to you. Right. Mm-hmm. But theater really is also generational and, and, mm-hmm. and you, from centuries and hundreds of years ago. Mm-hmm. Shakespeare wrote that about a lot of the same issues that modern plays are. Oh, so the Greeks did. That's right. The, thematically, that that really is not true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But this appealed to you because of your own worldview. Mm-hmm. That, that, that's fine. I have no argument with that. Mm-hmm. But with this young man, Justin, I said to him, I said, tell me, what is it about it? He says, well, it's like we don't plan. I said, what? We don't plan. He says, right. I'll, get, I'll get your postcard. I'll right. get your email that you sent out or anything or see it on Facebook or everything. Uh, I hear you. All right, so. You know, and I'm I'm not going to go to my calendar, right? And say, okay, uh, on the fifteenth of the month, I'm going to see yeah. off the right. West. Yeah. But he says a friend will come over, mm-hmm. and it'll be, yo man, what you doing tonight? Oh, I don't know. What you want to do? Oh, I don't know. What do you want to do? Uh, oh, I got this postcard for this play that my friend is doing. Yeah. Right. Why don't we do that? Right. Cool. Let's do that. So this is the problem. They don't plan. Mm-hmm. Now, the other part of that, too, is I, I talked to a colleague of mine. We were going to try to go to these groups because some of these people mm-hmm. in their 20s, these tech kids mm-hmm. and other things, these guys are millionaires. Yep. 
they've started companies, their little startups, their app thing, whatever, whatever. These are millionaires in their 20s. Mm-hmm. They don't have anything to do with their money. Mm-hmm. You know, they spend it in restaurants and bars because all they do is work right. 80 hours a week. They live to work. Right. Yeah. And they're not really expanding, and they're not – <coughs> and one of the things that we felt, well, hey, you've got money that you need for tax write-offs. So why don't you give it to theater? We're nonprofit. That's right. Fine. So we were going to make a presentation. Mm-hmm. So I had coffee with this colleague of mine, and she said, yeah. I said, well, this will be easy for me. I said, because I can talk to anybody, and I'll just tell them about the value of going to the theater and mm-hmm. broadening your world perspective right. and all this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. She said, uh-uh, that's not going to work. Hmm. I said, what are you talking about? She said, you can't communicate it like that. How you've got to communicate it is, all right, hey, um, you want to impress this woman? Yep. Uh, okay. So um, let's go to the theater, mm-hmm. and so you can like be successful with the women if you go to theater. Yeah. So it's a vehicle for an alternative <laughs> yeah. route to the success of a relationship or whatever that means. Well, but wow. we're talking about a mm-hmm. new mm-hmm. construct, yeah. a mm-hmm. paradigm that 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 is, ex- is we have to deal with. Yeah. It, and it's good that you bring that up because, uh, you know, there are a lot of young men, you know, whether you're in the tech industry or whatever, and there's so much, I don't want to call it, I, I think, disposable sort of um, media where, and like, anyone can say, oh, let me jump on YouTube for a real quick right. second, or let me mm-hmm. jump on my phone, or let me play PlayStation or whatever. And all of a sudden, how do you, how do you, how do you elevate yourself? How do you prove yourself to be distinct for someone like a woman, to impress a woman? Mm-hmm. Well, here's the thing. Yeah. Well, here's the thing, Reg. And we kind of were doing a little talk before we started. Right. Yeah. But here's the thing. The, the art or the method mm-hmm. of communicating today yes. has totally changed. Yeah. And we, it's a lost art. Yeah. And so you – I'm a people watcher. Mm-hmm. I'm going to talk to right. you. I like dialogue. And when I talk to you mm-hmm. – my energy or my emotional state or how I say things mm-hmm. and my body language, mm-hmm. when we're communicating with each other on a human level, yeah. it makes the communication very full. Right. Mm-hmm. So now we've, emo- we've evolved into society where everybody's punching letters. Exactly. Right. And exactly so right. it's just words. Yeah. And so, first of all, there's a shortcut. And sometimes not even words, fragments of words. Right. And, right. That, and that's the point. It's, it's a shortcut way of writing. Yeah. And that went to what we're talking about writing. Yeah, yeah, there was a New York Times article uh, that came out a couple of days ago, Why Kids Can't Write, and it was stunning because not, we're talking about high school kids right. who are trying to apply for college, and they can't even write, you know, like your standard wor- noun, verb, direct object. Right, what's it's, an adverb, right, I think was exactly. one of the things that and popped up And both of you are teachers, and, you right. know, it's, it's fascinating. I mean, Norman, have you – I don't know how much writing do you have your students the, do. The, the approach that I have. Because mm-hmm. it's always about playwriting or character analysis. Those are the two fields. And one of the things that we often say right off the bat is, I don't care how you spell this. I don't even care what language you use because you're trying to make sense of this character. Mm-hmm. Knowing that once you get – because any writer will tell you writing is rewriting. You get that rough draft down. You get those ideas on the page. You can go back and you can shape you can shape, you can shift it, you can shape it, you mm-hmm. can refine it, you can find out the right spelling, you can do all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But if you get stuck because you don't know how to spell that word, or you're not sure how to say this, well, how would you say it? And it's funny because that's a prompt I use all the time. Well, how would you say? It? Well, I'd say blah 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 blah. Great, put that down, and then we'll come back and we'll fix it. Yeah. Right. 
And creative writing, that's fine because, you know, it's not necessarily about being, you know, uh, you know, being exact mm-hmm. or being articulate. You, you're expressing yourself in your way. Right. It's a slang. Right. That's fine. That's not going to help you in, in the in the real world. Well, well that's what surprises me is that we no longer have that anymore. We no longer, apparently in school, want to just do something like simple diagramming of a sentence. Right. <laughs> I can't believe how you, you say something and it's like exactly where I'm going. Yeah, <laughs> exactly right. Because I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I've been a substitute teacher in the West Compton Schools Unified School District for going on 12 years. Mm-hmm. I've been at El Cerrito High School now 11 years, mm-hmm. which I love that school. Mm-hmm. And, and, and you're a your head coach there, too. No, no, well, I, I was the head JV football coach for five years, and then I left yeah. because, yeah. because, as usual, as most coaches will tell you, the parents drove me crazy. Right. So now I, I coach on varsity, and I coach wide receivers. Got it. And mm-hmm. this will probably be my last year, though. I'm tired. It's 10 years. Because <laughs> yeah. we wear a lot of hats. Yeah. Right. I just don't coach football. Yeah. So I go into substitute teaching. And I get there, and I'm traveling around the district the first year and a half. And then I found El Cerrito, and I just made it my home because mm-hmm. uh, I like the teachers. And I had about 15 teachers that used to call me all the time. So I was mm-hmm. able to do okay. You know, and, and I, at the time, was making money as an actor, too, in this town until about five, six, seven years ago. And mm-hmm. everything changed. Right. So now um, I'm a Socratically trained teacher, serious. Mm-hmm. And so I'm an anomaly anyway as a substitute. And now these kids say, oh, yeah, you're not really a sudden starter. You're a teacher, you know. And that's what because I teach, mm-hmm. and especially in the social sciences, English, literature, history, government, man, I'm mm-hmm. there. And I, I, and we're on the block system, mm-hmm. so an hour and 40 minutes, so I got time for right. critical thinking, discussion, whatever. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. So I learned early on that they were just trying to find the answers. Right. So you'd have a chapter to read. That'd be the lesson plan. Read the chapter and answer the questions at the end. And yeah. they would just go back to the end and cherry pick the answers. <coughs> right. So I said, well, you're really not learning. Mm-hmm. And so I decided that not, not, not only will I look at the lesson plan and come up with a, a rhetorical question for a discussion and, and, and guide that, mm-hmm. uh, I'm going to make you read the chapter. So I make them read through the chapter. And right. then after we finish a section, if I think it's something very relevant that we need to discuss, mm-hmm. I stop and discuss it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so that way, and I had a kid come up to me one time uh, and said, Mr. Hart, I remember that day you stuff for us and that when you were talking about such and stuff. And I remember that discussion because a lot of our kids are auditory learners. Right. And so it really is a, a boon to them. Mm-hmm. So now we're going to transform that into how do we write a good essay. Mm-hmm. And, of course, you've got kids that think an essay is three sentences. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, they just don't. And, or, and, and the one thing is, how long has it got to be? Right. And so what I've just developed is, <coughs> and it goes to my acting and the script analysis, I mm-hmm. said, always ask the why. If you ask the why, you have to defend it. Mm-hmm. If you defend it, you have to have evidence. If you have evidence, you evaluate whether that evidence is good or that evidence is bad. Mm-hmm. And if it's uh, whatever, then the impact of it. Is the impact good or bad? Why? Mm-hmm. And I said, you will be so busy defending or writing your, your, your point of view mm-hmm. that before you know it, you might have two pages and you're right. not even thinking That's about it because right. you immerse yourself in what, what are we talking about. Right. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, it's like, oh. And a lot of this goes to the fact that a lot of these kids don't feel their opinions matter. Mm-hmm. And I tell them all the time, you're smart. Mm-hmm. You're intelligent. Yeah. You're lazy, distracted, mm-hmm. and I'm I'm not a fan of your cell phones and texting and all that nonsense and right. social media. I think it's the most destructive thing. And if you believe in conspiracy theories, mm-hmm. they want to keep a, a large portion of our population dumbed down. 
Mm-hmm. So they can be manipulated emotionally, right. ergo yeah. our yeah. present condition politically. Right. Right. So, so that's the way that I, you know, along with the whole idea of constructing, uh, you know, the construction of a good essay, mm-hmm. right. which we right. teach. Right. But if you really look at it, if you go back, mm-hmm. we grew up diagramming sentences. In the eighth grade, we diagrammed sentences. sentences. But what, mm-hmm. uh, what I didn't have was um, logic. Right. It was sort of a. It was a. You know, you could you could opt to do that if you wanted to, right. but it was not a requirement. And I and I, as I was going up, because I was taking, I made the mistake one semester of taking a bad and easy English class. I was done after that. I was like, you are wasting my time. I got no time for this. Let me get in here where I'm actually struggling and debating and enjoying wrestling with this material. And I was like, well, why don't you do this? Because we can all fight for our position, and we all – and, you know, the thing that keeps coming up now is we all know how to fight dirty. We know how to do that. But I don't want to win because I tricked you. I don't want to win because I figured out some way to distract you. I want to win because you actually heard what I had to say. Mm-hmm. And you and had a better argument. Dialog- and, and you finally kind of said, wow, my argument fails where your argument is better. That's right. That's right. You know, and, and if mm-hmm. I couldn't get there, then I have to go, wow, well, wait a minute. What is yours? Let me make sure I understand That's what right. you're saying. Right. At the very least, hopefully I walk away from that thinking, I need to think about this. That's right. And, oh, yeah. if, and if they've had a discussion mm-hmm. in class, mm-hmm. they remember some of those arguments. Mm-hmm. So that adds to their thing. Because they tell sometimes I get, oh, oh Mr. Harder, I wish you were our teacher. And I say, hey, be careful what you wish for. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'll tell you right now, mm-hmm. it's not about that multiple yeah. choice garbage that you're all doing. You've right. got to have, at the end yeah. of it, you're going to have quizzes every week. Mm-hmm. And you're going to have three essay questions. You've got to answer two out of three. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But because of the way I teach, mm-hmm. you will remember material or the argument right. mm-hmm. or the issue. Mm-hmm. And so you will be able to write that because your yeah. mind will be trained. And we're yeah. not doing that enough. And another thing is reading. I mean, just when's the last time a kid write, reads a book? I mean, when I was in when I was in school, especially junior high school, and I was an only child at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, later on, my dad remarried, and now I'm the oldest of four kids. But I read, you know, I read right. Encyclopedia Brown or whatever, and that enhances your mm-hmm. your um, what am I trying vocabulary? Oh. That's that's how I learned to go in the classroom. I was a teaching artist, mm-hmm. and I would go in with Shakespeare, Romeo and Juliet, of all things. Right. And they're like, well, what are you going to do with this? Well, I talk to the kids. I talk about who Shakespeare is. I talk about all that stuff. And I say, this is why we think it's important in our culture. And now let me give you an example. And we're talking about Romeo and Juliet. So I'm right at their age in talking about who these people's story. Right. And they even know, sort of know it. I said, well, let's read through. What are we going to do? No, we're going to go around the class. We're all going to read this. And when that kid starts stumbling on those big words or their archaic words, I'm going to let him stumble. I'm going to correct him. I'm going to ask how many people thought that was a hard word. That was a weird word. Or that word is not a word that we actually use the way Shakespeare used it. It happens that way. But English is all messed up anyway. Let's not let that stop us. That's right. By the mm-hmm. end of just one class, you got kids going, ooh, I can't wait to come back the next That's time. Right. Right. And the teacher's like, what did you do? And I'm like, all I did was make sure that I went around the room and made every kid in this room open their damn mouths. Involved. And they're not used to doing it. They sit yeah. at home. They don't think their opinion counts. And I tell them, your right. opinion does count. Right. My future is in your hands. Oh, right. yeah. Mm-hmm. Here's one of the things I do with freshmen. 
This is one part of my little freshman orientation with them. Whenever I sub in a class of freshmen, I don't do it very often because mm-hmm. I can't stand freshmen. Mm-hmm. They shouldn't go to high school till they're sophomores anyway. Because <laughs> that, 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 that year of maturity does it's, is, it's is a, a big really deal, issue. Yeah. But one of the things that I do is I talk to them on how important language is power. Mm-hmm. Language is power. So here's what I'm going to tell you to do. If you take the dictionary and you learn one word a day, yep. learn its use mm-hmm. and be able to use it, mm-hmm. do the math. Four years of high school, four years of college, you're going to have such a large vocabulary. And I tell them all the time, I said, I started being interested in vocabulary because mm-hmm. when I was a freshman in college, I used to hang around with this smart ass. Mm-hmm. And I misused a word one time. And he just told me, oh, man, you don't know what you're talking mm-hmm. about. And you misused that word. And I was mm-hmm. so pissed. And I was so embarrassed. I swear, it'll never happen to me again. Mm-hmm. So I became enamored with mm-hmm. language and, 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 and having a good vocabulary. Yeah. And I tell them, I said, I can sit across from anybody. Mm-hmm. I can. I've interviewed for jobs that I didn't even. I wasn't, you know, yeah. qualified for. Yeah, and he, and that's that's the thing. You never know when you're going to to use it. That's I mean, right. you know, we've talked about vocabulary as far as, you know, applying for jobs. You know, mm-hmm. writing a cover letter. You know, like paragraph one is. Here, he, this is who I am. This, this is, is who what I'm applying I am. for. This is my name. Right. This is why I'm yeah, here in exactly. the room today. Paragraph right. two is. Well, this is my qualifications, and, you know, maybe I'll have a point-counterpoint argument. Well, I understand these are some of the deficits that I don't have, but this is what I do have, and this is why you need to do it. And then Mm -hmm. the last will be a salutation to sort of wrap everything Mm -hmm. up. Absolutely. And, you know, that's – and when it comes to theater, how can you pick up a book? I mean, how can someone audition for, let's say, Off-Broadway West, and they don't have the vocabulary to handle, let's say, Pinter or Carol Churchill or anything like that? Well, this – See, you bring these things up, and I'm, it's all just, I mean, automatically I have a... Right, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's, that's why we got you it's here. It's where you live, uh, yeah. One of my big issues is, is, and this goes back to the educational structure, you know, mm-hmm. uh, people don't understand the intrinsic value of the arts. Right. And you have kids, I had a principal at Novato High School one time who told me, here's a woman who's a principal in high school, she says, I never would have gotten through high school if it wasn't for theater. And that's the point. And, yep. and we've got the powers that be that are so bottom line oriented and they think they have the answers and they don't realize that in this country, total comprehensive education is, is very vital to our human mm-hmm. infrastructure. The strength of America is its physical and human infrastructure. Mm-hmm. Physical infrastructure helps commerce, mm-hmm. which helps our economy, and our, our human infrastructure makes us an enlightened, educated society right. that that thinks about a greater, hopefully, idealistically, mm-hmm. the greater good of our country. All this right. false patriotism drives me crazy yeah. mm-hmm. because what's real patriotic is to make sure that we have people who can, can, can have good quality of lives mm-hmm. because they're well-educated, they're able right. to earn up a good living, mm-hmm. they're able to appreciate our diversity, yeah. they're able to, instead of, of, of us just grabbing for the crumbs and fighting. Right, right. we so, have a, a solid safety net. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So one of the things is that the arts in school, every school should never cut their money for right. theater, for music, for, music. for dance, oh, for, really for, 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 for the things that, mm-hmm. that help us grow as people. Yeah. Theater broadens your worldview. Mm-hmm. It gives you empathy about mm-hmm. situations and the human condition. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and so when you have that kind of environment, you do grow. Your mm-hmm. vocabulary will grow. Mm-hmm. And, and, and what, what they do with it is, in, in our school for years, it's been a dumping ground. So right. we've got this, this schedule and everything, and so we've got this, these extra kids. What are we going to do with them? Oh, stick them in drama. Right. So as a result, they took what at one point was one of the great drama 
mm-hmm. programs in the Bay Area, mm-hmm. and they've just bastardized it, and now it's just a dumping ground, and nothing can get done. Mm-hmm. And over the years when I was there and I wanted to be the drama teacher, after a while I said, there is no way, because my curriculum mm-hmm. is very difficult, and I need dedicated kids. Who cares? This is the other thing. Who cares if they're 18 or 20, 25 kids in a class? Right. But see, as long as you get paid for butts in the seats in this country, mm. education is going to suffer because you're going to have 38 and 40 kids in a class. Right, oh. exactly. And, and that's yeah. the problem. When I was trained to be a teacher, 25 was optimal for learning. Yeah. Anything less than that was fine. Yeah, because you're distracted if it's more than any, know, and well, well, because it's impossible. We, I did a writing program this summer, and I was told I'd have seven or eight kids. And I walked in to 27 kids. I did the exercise that I would have done, um, and the teacher that was shadowing me on this kind of got nervous about what I was doing. We we covered that. We covered that. I'm like, I don't know. Well, number one, I don't know what you covered. Number two, I know what my program does. And so number three, when we finished that day, and I had kids who barely had anything on the page. Oh, no. I had other kids who were just cranking on fire, including mm-hmm. my stepson, which cracked me up because I walked in the room and went, oh, boy, we're, we're going to have a hard day today. <laughs> and he was so excited about what he was writing. And I was like, here's the difference. The program that I do works with small numbers. You're able to get feedback. You're able to have them hear yeah. their workout you can focus loud. focus on each kid. But with 27, mm-hmm. that is just impossible. Yeah. And so that bunch of kids who aren't doing well – if you gave me the program that I wanted, I could get those kids up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But you give me a program where I can't take the time to get around the room. Well, exactly. when you when you when you also think that you're doing this equity kind of thing, which is a mis- you know, there's so many issues in public education that people think they're doing good for people, right. but the reality of it is, it's a detriment. Equity. You cannot, and I'm sorry, you cannot put kids who are in special education with their mm-hmm. various issues mm-hmm. in a group with 38 kids. Right. There's too much energy going on there like yeah. atoms bouncing off each other. Yeah. And they get distracted. Mm-hmm. And they can't, you know, and, and I've been in that situation. I've seen good teachers who just gave up mm-hmm. uh, because they just can't do it. And everybody thinks, well, you can't discriminate against these kids because they're special education. You're not discriminating against them. They're part of the fabric of the school. They're involved in every activity. But right. when it comes time for classroom, mm-hmm. You need to be in a class with maybe eight to ten kids. Yeah. You've got a couple of teachers in there. It's team teaching. Right. It's a quiet environment. They're right. not distracted. Right. And it's easily to handle it so they can progress the way they should progress. That's exactly mm-hmm. right. Just to digress on the thing about theater, mm-hmm. I have several components of theater that are educationally sound. Mm-hmm. Number one, if you are in theater, you have to read. Right. Mm-hmm. If you are in theater, and what I teach it, you have to write mm-hmm. because you analyze. We do. I used to do when I did take over a program at El Cerrito for the second semester because the mm-hmm. teacher unfortunately died. I had classic film Friday, mm-hmm. and being on the block system, it was cool. So right. what you did is you watch a classic film, a mm-hmm. classic film, mm-hmm. and they all complain. Well, that's a black and white. Right. <laughs> but, by, but by the end of the semester, I had them going. They'd write their reviews, and they'd say, "I really like this movie." even if it was in black and white. <laughs> they just couldn't let go. Right. But you write, analyze, mm-hmm. all right? You do script analysis. That's yeah. critical thinking. Yeah. Right. That's that's evaluating. Right. Okay, there's a skill set there. You mm-hmm. write, mm-hmm. all right? And, and, and you're reading. So your reading levels are going to improve. Your confidence being in front of 
other people that you is going to improve. So mm-hmm. your your verbal skills are going to be good. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. You're going to have good public speaking. You know, I tell these kids all the time. You think you're part of a generation that thinks I'm gonna sit in this booth. And uh, I'm going to work on my computer and right. make, make my money. Nobody's going to bother me. Yeah. And then one day, your boss comes up to you and says, oh, by the way, John, we're doing a presentation on this new uh, uh, contract that we want. It's worth about $75 million, and we, you're very good at that particular area. We're going to have you get the presentation. Yeah. Oops. Mm-hmm. Right. right. And so if you had been in theater, mm-hmm. if you know how to publicly speak, if you've been in a classroom where mm-hmm. there's critical thinking discussions going on, mm-hmm. you'll be able to do that. Yeah. So we've gone from this this way of really developing well-rounded students, and I tell them all the time, it's the well-rounded person in life that gets ahead, not right. the person that's good at one thing. Right. right. And so that's the problem, as we said before. The mm-hmm. methodology did not need to be changed. Yeah. And I think about Steve Jobs. You know, Steve Jobs didn't really do the coding or whatever. It was Steve right. Wozniak. But Jobs became – you know, the, the, the face, face, the face, face, of, the face, because he knew how to present. He wasn't just the face. He also was thinking, what's going to appeal to people? Right. Not not a bunch of little nerds like us. Right. What's going to appeal to the Everyone. regular consumer? Mm-hmm. No, I, I embraced teaching finally mm-hmm. when I realized, number one, I didn't want to be teaching anything else. I wanted to be teaching theater. Right. But I couldn't hold the standards that I hold when I'm working on a show because if my goal is to get up the best show, That's right. then I don't care about you. I just need to know what you can and cannot do. That's right. But if I'm here to teach you, then I don't care about the show at the end. I care about getting you all through the process. That's right. Mm-hmm. And once I realized most of these kids are not going to theater, that is not what I'm here for. That's right. But if they all come out speaking, if they all learn how to right. deliver a line, how to connect to their scene partner, right. how to do basic right, staging, right, 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 right. if I get them just on that end, how to read and, and understand well, what's going on with the script, yeah. if I give them those tools, wherever they go in life, that's right. there's almost no place they can go in that's life exactly where those right. are not tools they need. Because the concept, if it's explained to them, is, is what gets them. I don't – you don't need to want to be an actor to be in theater. Right. But what we're going to give you is we're going to give you a, an enhanced set of skills that you're going to be able to take out in the working world to be successful. Mm-hmm. So not everybody wants to be this actor, but the skill sets you learn. And if you buy into the skill set mm-hmm. and then take this opportunity in your schedule in school to have a good time, mm-hmm. you know, you can have a good time in theater, but it's not playtime. Right. And that's the difference. And yeah. and, 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 and I I don't understand. There are alternatives, and we've discussed this at great length at our school mm-hmm. with certain people. There are alternatives to dumping kids in these kinds of places. Mm-hmm. Our kids need a life skills class right. Right. so that they know how to take care of themselves. Or mm-hmm. if they, unfortunately they get pregnant, they know how to raise a child properly. Right. You know, right. The, 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 the sad part about it is a small percentage of, of kids who are problematic in schools, mm-hmm. who are constantly, if you look at their backgrounds, being raised by, by mm-hmm. somebody who was a teenager when they had them. Right. Well, just because you're a teenager doesn't mean you can't be a responsible parent. Because right. I know plenty who have been. Right. And they're great mothers, you mm-hmm. know. And so, you know, that's the thing. Yeah. So it's, it's basically, it's, to me, it is the will to want to be at your best as mm-hmm. a country. Yeah. And education is the key mm-hmm. to, yeah, to the is. success of our human infrastructure that is really the strength. Nobody's going to beat America from without. 
Mm-hmm. We'll make a parking right. lot parking lot out right. of it in, in, in an hour. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. We, we'll be right. like the Roman Empire, hope, right. unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. Right. We're weak from within, mm-hmm. and we're seeing the cracks because of just this political climate. Right. You see these people. Mm-hmm. I, I essentially, I can't really look at these people and not like them or, or dislike them. Mm-hmm. When I see, and I don't know, we're on this podcast. I don't know if I can. Go for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can say, but this is my my characterization, yeah. only my opinion. But when I see the criminal in the White House, mm-hmm. right, okay, right. who is a con man, mm-hmm. and these people, he gives the, you know, he's still campaigning. Yeah. Right. He, yes. It's an absurdity. Even after two hundred some odd days. Well, because he's right. got well, because yeah. he's got the mentality of a five year old, and right. he's got to make himself feel good because sure. mm-hmm. oh, they do love me. Yeah, well, right. then he goes and speaks to the lemmings that mm-hmm. that he talks to, yeah. and I see these people standing behind him, and they all got the smiles and, and their signs, yeah. and, right. and, it, and it's like oh, wow, wow. and I sit there and I go, y- y'all are being played. Mm-hmm. This man is not doing. It is incredible theater. It's it's, it's the incredible irony that the richest, one of the richest men who has ever been president, is 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 accepted by the poorest. Right, you know, people, right. people in the Midwest who've lost their jobs. Right, that's right. And he's not going to do anything for it's them, not and they're not going to get what they need because yeah. the things that they really do need are the things that the party they vote for mm-hmm. will never approve yeah. of. Right, I mean, and that's the sad part about yeah. it. I mean, and they're going to continue to be victims, right, and then exactly. you, you can't be simplistic about wanting to tear the government down and all that kind of stuff. I mean, I, right. I see parallels in 1938. Uh, yeah. All over again, yeah. uh, you yeah. know. The charismatic leader comes along, makes promises. He knows he's not going to keep, yeah. and the people buy it. Hook you, line you and sinker. Uh, no, nineteen thirty-eight. Oh, 38. Okay. Adolf Hitler. Uh, Hitler. Oh, yeah. Hitler. Yes. Hitler. Okay. You're thinking across. Yes. Yes. Yeah. That's right. right. No, but you you need to look at the yeah. social dynamic. Yeah. That's and right. Go, wow. Yeah. We are just the, all of it is right there. We you, are ready you to attack move. the other. You have scapegoats. You make promises about parallels. and you have a disaffected population. Population. That has spent too much time. There are too many things that he and his people say mm-hmm. that we all go, well, yeah, that's true. Well, yeah, that's true. Yeah. He's not offering anything that we necessarily believe in, right. but his analysis of fake news. Yeah. I, and that one cracked me up because I've gotten to the point where I just say propaganda because that's what it is. Well, yeah. yeah. Except mm-hmm. that, you know, like even our advertising, you're going to get blah, blah, blah for free. Now, we yeah. all know that free doesn't mean free. Right. Yeah. Uh, I, and I think about the 20s because there was a time just before um, Roosevelt came into office. Mm-hmm. He had a couple of individuals who got elected, just like Trump, based on just propaganda. There was uh, a Harding, who was one of the most corrupt right. presidents we ever had and from yeah. 20, and then he died and in Coolidge. 23. Yeah. And uh, it, that's right, Calvin Coolidge, Coolidge. And then uh, Hoover, and, of course, the stock market crashed right. because people were buying stock on credit. Right. Yeah. And uh, no one was watching what was going on. There was no regulation. And, you know, it reminds me how Trump is elected basically saying we're going to stop regulation. We're going right. to continue to, you know, we're going to build the wall. We're going to do all this stuff. You know, it's just. Well, the sad, the, the sad, yeah. the sad part about it, Reg, though, is, yeah. is, is that these people don't, they see the hypocrisy in front of their faces. Yep. Mm-hmm. And they refuse to believe That's right. what they're seeing in front of them. When you run on a campaign and your whole campaign relative to the ec- economy mm-hmm. is blaming Goldman Sachs and Wall Street right. mm-hmm. and saying that Hillary Clinton is their tool. Right. And then you get in office and everybody in the financial aspects of government you take from Goldman Sachs. Right, right. And if I'm little Mr. Mm-hmm. Joe Smith right. in, in Pennsylvania or Arkansas or Mississippi, Alabama or some yeah. of these states where West Virginia, yeah. I'm going, 
well, wait a minute, you you attacked these people. Now you're putting them in there. You yeah. didn't, you know. But, but they, they're not thinking that. Way. Well, because they 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 the big issue, and I, w- I read a lot of articles. I'm a news junkie. I watch mm, the news all day. Sure. Now. Yeah. And and but what the problem is is they see it, mm-hmm. but they can't. They don't want to have to come and say, you know, I was wrong. I got played. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We have one party that wants you to think. We have one party that wants you not to think at all. Right. Don't right. don't think about anything. We'll, right. we'll spy on that. Yeah, I wanted right. to talk I, about. I hope we do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes, I, I hope so too. But talk to me about how theater, how you bought, how you got into the theater bug. I mean, I, as uh, talk about yeah. Richard Harder as a child. I mean, did you get into theater then? Oh gosh, man. Well, first of all, I'm from New York, and my mother went to New NY. York City. Yeah, New York City, the yeah. Bronx. I'm from the Bronx, mm. and um, my father was a Tuskegee Airman. Wow. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's still alive. He'll be 95 this month. Wow. That's awesome. He's one of the few left. Mm-hmm. And so my mother went to NYU, and my mother always loved theater. Mm-hmm. I mean, we had all the soundtracks to all the great musicals. Uh, mm-hmm. And um, when my dad came back from, from Japan, he was in World War II, I mean, in Korea. Mm-hmm. And that's when we started to travel. Mm-hmm. So I was like five, six years old. One of our stations in 1955, we were in Alaska. Mm-hmm. And the Anchorage Theater Guild used to do plays. And they'd bring sometimes actors from L.A. or whatever, known mm-hmm. actors. Mm-hmm. Eddie Albert came on uh, up and did uh, oh. Mr. Roberts or something. Mm-hmm. Uh. So they were doing The King and I. Mm-hmm. And my mother had a friend who was an English teacher at Anchorage High School. And she said, oh, you should bring Ricky over because they're looking for the kids of the king, you know. <laughs> uh-huh. And so my mother, you know, oh, yeah. So she took me over and I got cast as the prince, the crown prince. Nice. Mm-hmm. Made the papers and, you know, because mm-hmm. I got the chicken pox also. Every summer for oh. three years in Alaska, I got, I got not, not that chicken pox, I got the measles. Yeah. Right. And so, you know, young prince down with the measles, you know. We're in the middle of a rehe- uh-huh. rehearsal period anyway. So that was my first theater experience. And I liked it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also I was an athlete. And uh, when I was in high school, all my sports conflicted with the junior and senior class plays. So right. I, I just couldn't do them. Mm-hmm. And I just kind of forgot about that. And I went to college to be a teacher. And I went to Western Washington, up in Bellingham, Washington. And, mm. uh, and about two months before that, I graduated. The dean of students came to me and they said, you know, um, I'm an ex-naval naval officer. And he said, I'd like you to think about flying for the Navy. Mm. They've been kind of lax in having African-American pilots. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we know who your father was and everything. So I thought, oh, that's cool. And, you know, I didn't have to worry about the draft because my draft was in the South Bronx. And mm-hmm. They were drafting a lot of poor white Puerto Rican black kids. It's a poor man's war anyway. You know, all wars are. Mm-hmm. And so I said, cool. Flying is great, you know. So I go down to Pensacola, and it was like it was me and one other bl- black guy down there. Because mm-hmm. they were going to traditionally black colleges, and they were saying, uh, excuse me, see the door? Don't let it hit you with right. the Lord split you. We ain't right. going in the, in the military. So right. I'm down there, and they thought I was going to be the poster child, man. Mm-hmm. They had me planned. They had it all planned out, man. Mm-hmm. I was going to be. And I had leadership qualities. I was doing very well. Mm-hmm. But I couldn't get by. <laughs> I couldn't get by an algebra and physics qualification test. And I had problems with an engines mm-hmm. class. Mm-hmm. And rather than put me. And they would put me on hold. Because mm-hmm. I was at the top of my class and everything else. And mm-hmm. they knew they had a good officer here and good material. And they mm-hmm. wanted that. Because all our class officers were ex-pilots who had been to Vietnam. Mm-hmm. So they knew what they wanted. Right. Because you know, we had some people that were, you know. Well, but I just. I said, hey, you know, I had this hearing, and they kind of mistreated me. You know, mm-hmm. I was seven weeks ago, you loved me, and now you're questioning my patriotism? 
Mm-hmm. It's like, do you know who you're talking to here? Yeah. <laughs> who my father is? Right. And I volunteered to be here. Was this a so, south issue? No, 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 no. Okay. Well, well, actually, I had a in the engines class. I had a, a, a redneck warrant officer mm-hmm. who didn't think I belonged down there. Mm-hmm. So he, yeah, that was an issue, and it right. became an issue, and he got he got reprimanded. But the thing was, was that they said, okay, because we're going to drop you from the program, so that's better than drop. Dropping yourself, right? You're sticking the navy. So if you try, mm-hmm. thank you very much. Here's your honorable discharge. And mm-hmm. you know. so my cousin called me from New York City. She said, "Man, you need to come come up to New York. You haven't been around a lot of black people that are really doing things, mm-hmm. doing things. Mm-hmm. Everybody up is doing stuff. Mm-hmm. You need to have that experience and get in touch with who you are." Mm-hmm. So I go to New York, and that's when I, for seven years, I was there until 77. Mm-hmm. I did my, mm. my black thing. Right. right? <laughs> I, I mean, you know, all of a sudden yeah. I discovered black women. Right. Yeah. I discovered Puerto Rican women. And, yeah. you know, I was in the disco six out of seven nights a week. Wow. And working yeah. in right. the 70s, that's, that's right. That's the place to be. Right. Yeah. And I was, I was trying everything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I worked first. I was I wanted to be a teacher, so I had to wait for my credential six mm-hmm. months. But then my aunt worked for the Health and Hospitals Corporation, mm-hmm. so she got me a job down there. So I worked on Thirty Fourth Street. Mm-hmm. Then I ended up in Harlem Hospital, man, mm-hmm. in patient accounts, and that was an incredible experience. Because mm-hmm. sometimes we do street investigations, oh, wow. catch up uh-huh. with Medicaid, get people to get Medicaid, right. and you'd walk through Harlem, man, and empty buildings and and and. and Lots with bricks. I mean, that mm-hmm. was an address that used to be. So I had all that experience. So yeah. and I was I was just immersing myself in this black cultural yeah. thing. And then after that, I, I worked for a year for ABC Sports, mm-hmm. Wide World of Sports, and Monday Night Football, that kind of stuff. As a production mm-hmm. assistant, which was cool. Yeah, you know? with Howard Frank and uh, Dan, Dan. Oh Dan. yeah, I worked with Don Meredith and, and Frank Gifford and Howard Cosell. And yeah. Howard Cosell was an amazing man. Yeah, I did the halftime highlights for Howard. Mm-hmm. And I did the commercial coordination on Monday Night Football. But I did all those kind of things. You know, I did boxing and drag racing and college football and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But I wanted to be a sportscaster. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they wanted you to be in love with production. Yeah. So I wasn't happy with that, and so I left. Mm-hmm. And then I substitute taught for a year, and then they laid everybody off in the city. They were doing that. And then I went to um, – um, I oh, had a friend who was a singer. Mm-hmm. And he was singing with this group. And he says, "Come on, man, you can sing." <laughs> so I did that for a short period of time, uh-huh. and I was a member of this little group, and we were trying to get a, con- a, 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 a deal. But I was the only one with an education, mm-hmm. and they were some guys that had been struggling, you know. And st- mm-hmm. desperation comes out of the struggle, right? And so they had a contract, and because um, at the time, the main ingredient was just killing it. Oh, mm-hmm. main right. ingredient. And yeah. the producer, yeah, the producer, the main ingredient was Cuba Gooding Senior. Was yeah. well, no, no, this yes. is well the oh, original beforehand. Donald McPherson, and yeah. unfortunately he died of leukemia, and then yeah. Cuba Gooding came in. Right. But yeah. this is when Donald McPherson was the lead singer. Yeah. And Bert DeGatteau was their producer, and he was at CBS Records. And mm-hmm. I knew a guy at CBS Records, and mm-hmm. he says, man, they're looking for another group like the main ingredient, and your group sounds a lot, that nice, sweet, pretty music, because I'm mm-hmm. into pretty music. Yeah. I love you, baby. Please love me back. Uh-huh. And so um, <laughs> I took, I told these guys, man, we have an opportunity here, right? Mm-hmm. But meanwhile, there was another record producer that one of the guys in the group knew, and he wanted to offer his contract. Mm-hmm. So I said, oh, let me see the contract. So I take the contract, and I take it to my friend. He said, man, don't sign this contract. Mm-hmm. He says, if you sign this contract, they can produce you, put you on the shelf, and you're going to owe them money, and they'll never, may never release it. Mm-hmm. He's known for that. This right. mm-hmm. So I go back to these guys, and I said, hey, man, you know, we shouldn't, we shouldn't, we should be patient and wait for this. We should not sign this contract. Mm-hmm. Well, you out the group. <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, that's the way people were, man. Yeah. I mean, you know, but so it was fun, and I loved it. I still, you know, I still sing to this day uh, mm-hmm. to my music and everything, and I love it. Mm-hmm. I can still do that. And uh, so then after that, I went to work for Barney's. Mm-hmm. I was selling clothes. And actually, we were the first people to sell George Armani in America. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Gene Pressman, who was Barney's grandson, was the main buyer. He was over in Milan. He met George Armani. And mm-hmm. Okay, let mm-hmm. us be your vendor. So we had one rack, seven suits, six suits, six mm-hmm. sports jackets, and six pairs of slacks. And at the time, a suit then in 1977 mm-hmm. was $750. Mm-hmm. So you rate that's about 2500 now. You know? yeah. so mm-hmm. It was expensive. Quality, and 1% of the market knew it, and 2% of the market knew it, and 1% mm-hmm. could afford it. Mm-hmm. So we had one rack. So I was like the first salesman in America to sell George Armani. Nice. So I'm working there with a guy named Jason Skura. Mm-hmm. And he was studying with Sanford Meisner at the Neighborhood Playhouse. Mm-hmm. And he'd be talking, talking, talking. And I, you know, and I said, you know, I'm still trying to figure out what I want to do in my life. Right. I think I'll try that. I think that's what I'll do. Mm-hmm. I'll be an actor. I never got to do that when I was younger. And, you know, you pretty much control your own destiny. And if mm-hmm. you're successful, it's, you know, you're, you know. Mm-hmm. And then I got stupid. I, did, I was in a relationship with this woman who wasn't going well. So I said, well, now I'll just go to California. I'll, <laughs> leave, I'll leave New York. And, then, and yeah. I, I had no mentors. Mm-hmm. Right. Said, no, the great teachers are here. You want to be a great actor? I, I mean, I saw Serpico mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. Al Pacino. Right. Al Pacino became my god. I wanted to be Al Pacino. Man. Yeah. yeah. And so um, I came back out here because my dad had retired here at Hamilton Air Force Base. And yeah. I came out here to study at ACT. But those days, you couldn't work. Right. You could never job. You had to go straight to school. I didn't have that kind of money. And mm-hmm. my father, I'm going to tell my father I'm going to be an actor. Mm-hmm. So I studied. Uh, I, ha- I saw an ad mm-hmm. where Dominic DeFazio and Geraldine Barron from the Lee Strasberg Institute are going to be in San Francisco, and they're going to teach this six-week course or whatever, six-month course, or six weeks or something like that. Mm-hmm. So I took that course. And I finished that course. And they were geared to Strasbourg. So, you know, I'd be in my room with the imaginary cup of coffee, smelling it. It was right. such painful work. It drove me crazy. And then I heard about Jean Sheldon. Mm-hmm. And I said, okay. And I knew she had affiliated with Stella Adler. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I go over to Berkeley. And I said, okay, I'm going to take two years. I'm not going to do anything but study. Mm-hmm. And I studied with Jean for two years. And uh, went to Harold Clerman's workshops when he would come out to visit. Mm-hmm. And then Stella was coming. Mm-hmm. And she picked her advanced students to do mm-hmm. the scenes for Stella. Stella Adler. Yes, Stella Adler. Right and for three nights, we did these scenes and stuff. And mm-hmm. I did a scene from The Great White Hope. Mm-hmm. And she had an interesting response to what I was doing. Mm-hmm. And then Peter Tripp approached me that night and asked me to join the One Act Theater Company. Right on. So that's when I started acting, actually. And then I occasionally went back and forth with Gene and everything. Mm-hmm. And then I, I, I got very lucky. And. I left Jeans in 1980, and in 1981, Ann Brebner signed me, and I got a national commercial right away. Oh, my God. All I had to do, they said, we, we want you to come in. Mm-hmm. Right. We're going to meet these, you know, and yeah. this woman and I, they called us in, and we were sitting across from the producer and director. They said, well, you've, you've got the commercial. We picked you off your headshots. And uh, <laughs> they said, oh, okay. And it was a national co- commercial Chevy. Mm-hmm. And, of course, awesome. you know, in the fall, college football. Right. So oh, yeah. I made like 9400 bucks in three months. Wow. And, I mean, the checks would come in, and I'm going, man, this is a good business. This is cool, right? And I'm right. doing theater, too. And, yeah. Yeah. and you also did print ads, too. Oh, I did. Oh, yeah. God, I did I did over the years. I mean, I've been doing this now almost 40 mm-hmm. years, but I, I did a lot of print work. Mm-hmm. Uh, the best ad I had was an E&J Brandy ad. 
was very That's right. Cool. I remember the picture. It's, of you it's at the home. most yeah. beautiful ad I ever did. It was beautiful. But I also was one of the people in San Francisco that did a ton of corporate training. Mm-hmm. I've done over 200 corporate training films in my career. And it was a group of African American males. Uh-huh. We fit the perfect corporate. We right. looked good. We sounded good. Mm-hmm. And so we were killing it here. And so, when we were, I mean, I'm traveling back and forth to Mountain View, San Jose, mm-hmm. you know, Palo right. Alto. Right. I mean, 280, we were firing on 280 mm-hmm. because you could do that in those days. Not now, but, you know, right. we could. And so we controlled that market, I mean, as far as minorities in the, in the market. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I made a good living, and I did every show that came to town. Mm-hmm. So I built 10 years, I built my resume. Yeah. And still did theater. And then I went to L.A. in 87. And I did very well down there. I was doing very well then. I read for a lot of it. I read for the lead in the heat of the night. Mm-hmm. Oh, that, wow. that, you know, it was right. funny because I had only yeah. been in L.A. It was Howard Rollins. Yeah. Howard I had only been in L.A. like two months. Yeah. And I get this call from this woman who signed me. She actually signed. I've been very fortunate, man. I mean, mm-hmm. I was with a, an agency here and this woman was looking for actors. And she, they sent my picture. She says, well, when he comes down, I'll represent him. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> now I got to L.A., man, and I became a member of the West Coast Ensemble Theater Company and I was working with some Incredible actors that still didn't have theatrical agents after 10 years. Mm. So I was very fortunate. Mm-hmm. So she said, you got to go over to MGM. You're reading for this thing, you know. Okay, okay, cool. I go over there, and it's for in the heat of the night. <laughs> so <laughs> by the time, and she loved the audition. Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. did very well. I did very well in LA. And I'm going downstairs. By the time I took the elevator down, walked out of the lobby, turned the corner, walked up the street, past Quincy Jones on the street. <laughs> I thought, man, this is it. I'm here. Right. I knew I wasn't going to get that role. Because uh-huh. I didn't look like Sidney Poitier. Right. Uh, and I just, you know. And I was new. But she liked me. Mm-hmm. And my agent said, that's a good thing. Right. And then Howard Rollins got the role. And, of course, he screwed up his life. So yeah, yeah. But I did a lot of, success, I read for, I read for. Success is not all. Right. It's cracked up to be. But I was, I was doing really well. I did four plays in a year and a half. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was, a <laughs> and I was treated very well. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, <laughs> ironically. The only casting director that really sh- did the typical stereotype, read the paper while the actor's there and doesn't show any interest, sure. unfortunately, was Robbie Reed. Hmm. And at the time, she was the only black casting director. She was doing all oh. the, all the uh, Robert Townsend's, all she was casting, right. all their people. So mm-hmm. she thought she was hot stuff. And I had only been down there a short period of time, and they sent me over for this, this pilot to read for this thing. And she, she just ignored me. Mm-hmm. But that was cool because everybody else was good to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, I did a play, um, a football play mm-hmm. called Game Face, mm-hmm. based on a true story about this guy in the NFL who had drug mm-hmm. issues and everything. And a, a, a guy in the play, April Webster, was a friend of his, and she came to see him in the play. Mm-hmm. And so she saw me, and she told him, she said, I like this guy. Mm-hmm. And she was casting Night Court. Mm-hmm. Well, Night Court was all like Barney Miller, all character right. actors. Right, yeah. right, yes. But she told me, she said, hey, she said, because uh, six, seven times I go over there. I said, April, why are you calling me in here? Mm-hmm. I'm not, I'm a leading man. I'm not a character. She says, Richard, she says, you're missing the point. They like you. So you will still come and see them. Mm-hmm. And then when they do another show, right. you're going to walk in and, yeah, Richard, you're going to be cast as this regular. Right. Right. And she says, that's the way it works down here. Right. It's good to yeah. be seen. Yeah. yeah. You yeah. know. And it's like, uh, I, I, I really, I cannot complain about L.A., man. I mean, mm-hmm. I did 227. I love telling this story. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I did 227 with Marla Gibbs. And I went over the first time. And I was supposed to play a, 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 a officer of the court. Mm-hmm. And, but I was flirting with Jack A. 
Mm-hmm. Now, Jack A is very interesting how people's mm-hmm. perceptions on oh, television. She was hot. But on television, yeah. she looked like this big, energetic, whatever, whatever, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Jack K is about five foot five. <laughs> but she put those heels on and have all that energy. And right. so they said, no, nah, you're not going to match up with her. So I didn't get the role. Mm-hmm. Two weeks later, my agent called me and said, you're going straight to the producers. I walked in there. I'm sitting there, man. And people would come out of the room. And they said, oh, you're the guy reading for the apartment manager? Okay, cool. Um, this is what, you know. And I walked in there, and they were all around the room and everything. I did the thing. Mm-hmm. I got cast, right? Okay. Right. So, you know, when you're doing that kind of television, it's like a nine-to-five job. You go mm-hmm. to rehearsal nine-to-five, and you rest. So right. One day, it was like a Wednesday, I think it was, and we took a break for lunch. Mm-hmm. I did my little thing, and I'm coming back at the end, you know, getting ready to just rehearse again mm-hmm. or whatever, whatever. And I hear Marla Gibbs just railing into this, another associate producer on the show. Mm-hmm. Just, no, you can't. You can't do that. I'm the producer. This is my show. You can't do that. And what the deal was was – the woman that was supposed to play the young Helen Martin role, because mm-hmm. it was a flashback, or when yeah. they first got to the building, they yeah. got caught in the basement and reminiscing. The woman went and went over to a different world and got one of the cast members to do the role. Hmm. She didn't tell Marla. Uh-huh. When Marla found out, she said, oh, no, that girl is a series regular on another show. She doesn't need an opportunity. Mm-hmm. She says, you find me a young woman that needs a break. Mm-hmm. And they found this young woman, and I watched Marla Gibbs on that Thursday work with that young woman for hours, showing her how she had to had to have the right attitude about sure. her, like Helen, how to walk. She took that time personally mm-hmm. to work with that girl, and that uh, my respect for her was tremendous about that. Because yeah. she very easily said, "Oh, you got us somebody? Okay, fine, yeah." That mm-hmm. I wonder where Marla Gibbs is now. She's still around. Yeah. She's still around. Yeah. She's still around. But um, so at the time, of course, I was in a marriage that was falling apart. Mm-hmm. And uh, they were up here, and uh, I was afraid I was going to lose my family. So I, then we had the earthquake, too. That was another thing. Oh, right, yeah. So I said, I'm going home. So I came back, and uh, eventually, unfortunately, um, it ended mm-hmm. in 96 or whatever. Mm-hmm. But when I came back, I went to Gene, back to Gene. I said, look, you know, I want to I be who you are. Mm-hmm. I want to apprentice with you. And so I apprenticed with Gene for nine years. Mm. I sat in from the very beginning. I said, I'll sit in from the very beginning classes, and I'll just go right through the whole system. And I did mm-hmm. it in nine years. That's what I did with her. So I'm kind of like her protege. Yeah. And I do teach occasionally. I have a class right now that I've been teaching over the summer, mm-hmm. and I'm doing that. Um, and I, I'm going to do more of that. This is my last year coaching football, so I'm going to do more of that. Mm-hmm. And then I'm going to uh, use my kids and have them help me do this. You know, Facebook is everything. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So <laughs> I will, yeah. I will, I will do that that again because the way I've been going about it is piecemeal and it doesn't always work. Yeah. Well, I mean, I see you off and on on Facebook, and you know, like little things. I'm noticing people use um, Facebook or you know the digital media uh, for for different things and what have you. It's well, especially now, it's great uh, outreach. Really people, well, people after the election last year, people have really shifted their use, mm-hmm. and there are some people who barely peek in every now and then or they just put up, they promote their shows or they're cooking. Whatever their thing is that they want to share, that's all they do and the rest of it they don't want to deal with. Well, I told you how I I found, you know, some jobs, acting jobs. People don't text me anymore or whatever. They'll just, you know, put up a Facebook thing and I'm like, and, you know, I told you when I did the last um, um, musical thing for the chain earlier this year, 
someone had put put a post up saying, "Hey, Red, do you want to do this?" And it took right. two weeks for me to realize. Oh, wait a minute, I gotta check because I can't check. I'm checking right. my phone. Yeah, I'm checking this. I'm checking that. Oh, exactly. now I gotta check Facebook. So. Well, it's, the dynamic has changed. I used to work all the time, and as I used to make a living, I could make fifteen, twenty thousand dollars a year just from acting. Mm-hmm. And occasionally, I, you know, I've done about fourteen national commercials, so I've, I've really hit it with those. You know, right. but in the last six, seven years, I just this whole new change. And everything's on casting networks. Right. And so they may post something between 10 and 12 midnight, and there are people on computer that I'm not. Right. And then I get up in the morning, and at 8 o'clock, I'll pop on my computer, and I'll say, oh, there's an audition I'm right for, and I'll submit for it. And you know three, 4,000 people have, you know. Mm-hmm. It's not like the old days where your agent calls you. Right. Uh, or you're going to Nancy Hayes, you're going to Nina Henninger's, right. and you may be competing maybe against 100 people. Yeah. Right. For a spot, and you, you had a really good shot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the other thing is, there's just not that much going on, too. Right. And so, in between, your your instrument gets stale, yeah. mm-hmm. and it becomes too important, which you should never feel like. Mm-hmm. And so, and I'm very hard on myself about that. But, mm-hmm. but I'm lucky to hear from my agent, and I'm with Stars, which is a great agency. I've been right. with them almost thirty years. Mm-hmm. And 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 the thing is, is that I might hear from them five times in a year. Mm. And what they're telling me, they, out of that, there might be three for auditions mm-hmm. at Nancy mm-hmm. Hayes, which is a surprise. Mm-hmm. Right. And the other two, them, I'm booked because somebody wants me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it's, I just don't, you know, I wonder how they, you know. Mm-hmm. And and so it's really affected my my income, my, my mm-hmm. pension from the Screen Actors Guild and everything. Right. So it's really too bad. And I didn't have the energy to go back to L.A. Mm-hmm. And there are some days I said, man, maybe I should have. Yeah. But there's other times when I said, no, I'm, I'm okay because I've done for my, I've done well artistically. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel mm-hmm. I've had a very successful career and very rewarding career. Mm-hmm. And I'm fine, you know. I right. to teach. I give back to especially young men of color. I've mm-hmm. mentored young men. So I've got a couple that are like my sons. They call me pops. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm the dad they never had. And that's right. been a wonderful experience for me mm-hmm. having two daughters. Yeah. And and I and when I'm at El Cerrito and as a teacher and as a football coach, I'm telling you, I'm I'm wearing four or five different hats. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I'm I'm very much rewarded giving back to young people, youth, especially young people of color. Mm-hmm. And I give to anybody that's young, but I mean young people. Of color well, and yeah, the definition of, as you get older, the definition of who right. is young just keeps growing. <laughs> yeah, that's like, true too. Okay, exactly. you mid thirties, y'all are kids. That's right. That's right. Now we've hit the hour mark. How are we doing? I mean, yeah, do we, we should. Wrap it? We should. Nope. Yeah. We should start to wrap up. But Sh- shout outs? Um, tomorrow night, I'm going to go see its closing. So this mm-hmm. is the last time to shout it out. It's Tender Napalm uh, with that's Anton's right. Well. Yeah. And that's at Robert the Estes, right? Robert Estes yeah. directed. Um, it's funny because I read about the show. I wanted to get curious. You know, I was curious to know more about it. Mm-hmm. And it's two characters that apparently just go at each other. And um, apparently the structure of it is... That their fantasies, as they each are trying to connect to each other more, their fantasies of what a relationship is just sort of explode all over the stage. Mm-hmm. I'm like, that'll be interesting. I, 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 w- I want to see what that's about. Right, right. Well, I, I've, I've, I've seen more theater because of the adjudication issue. You know, it's mm-hmm. really funny when you're immersed in theater, and I have a, a lot, a, a very busy life. Right. I, mean, I have a family. Yeah, it sounds like I've it. got school. I coach football. Mm-hmm. I do my theater company. I don't go to a lot of theater. Yeah. And there's a lot of theater in the Bay Area, but there's a lot of bad theater in the Bay Area. Yeah. And so the adjudication responsibilities has gotten me out of the house. 
mm-hmm. in one sense, it's had this kind of reverse effect. I appreciate the fact that I've been forced to go to right. theater. Right. And in our company, we divide it between Adam Simpson and, and, and Sylvia Cratons mm-hmm. and myself. So we see all the theaters, that we, I mean, plays that we need to, to qualify for the awards. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I will say this, though. It's great to discover the work of some theaters. Mm-hmm. I'm a big fan of Central Works. I love Central yeah. Works in Berkeley. Yeah. Yeah. I just think they what they do is so creative, and using that space is so creative. Yeah. I just we love just it. had Gary Graves on. That's right. That's right. And, and, and he's got Winter still running. That's yeah. right. Yeah. As a matter of fact, I'm going to see that this next week. Yeah. And then um, – What is Off-Broadway West? What, what's, what's your guys' – Well, let me give one little shout-out. Yeah. And, and also the New Conservatory. Mm-hmm. I see a lot of their Ooh. shows. Yeah. And I like what they do. I mm-hmm. mean, they're, they're usually pretty good shows. Awesome. You know? Uh, we are in right now. We are trying to find something to do. Unfortunately, you know, it's all still about money. So mm-hmm. we're right. thinking of February of eighteen mm-hmm. and November of eighteen. We'd like to do two. Yeah. Um, we're going to since it's our tenth anniversary. I think we're going to mm-hmm. start a campaign. Yeah. Ten for ten. We're going to call it. Awesome. Mm-hmm. We've got a, a mailing list of about thirty-five hundred people, if you can believe that. Mm-hmm. And so we're going to send that out and go on Facebook, do all the thing, and mm-hmm. it's going to be this anniversary, 10th anniversary, 10 for 10. Mm-hmm. Send us 10 bucks. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, if, if, if just half of our right. – think about it. Half of our mailing list, 1,500 people, mm-hmm. send us 10 bucks. Yeah. We're going to be okay. Yeah. yeah this is awesome. And then as far as picking stuff, mm-hmm. um, that um, – we have some things under consideration. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm um, – I can't. I, well, really like you said earlier, yeah, you, I'm you always know, very careful um, of, of, of advancing. Yeah, well, because uh, you know, people might listen to this and say, "Dang, you know, he's doing that's that." A great but, idea. We, but we could do that, and of right. course, we're an equity house, or we're a 300 seat theater, or a right. 200 seat theater. We can take that from them. So we learned that lesson. Yeah, and I hear you. What I know, oh, I've though, learned it mm-hmm. too. Here's the beauty of losing productions, though. Mm-hmm. You know, you're you're picking the right shows, mm-hmm. and it's like with the Whipping Man. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. I wanted to do the Whipping Man. Uh-huh. I saw the, the I read the, my you know I read three newspapers a day, so I read the Daily News and New York of the Times or mm-hmm. you know Huffington Post, whatever. Yeah. And Whipping Man was out, and I saw the review, and and Andre Breyer was doing it, and I thought this is a very interesting play. We mm-hmm. should do this. Right. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to do it, wanted to do it, and all of a sudden I couldn't get the rights to it, mm-hmm. and then of course. Marin Theater was doing it, right. which they did a wonderful production of it, I heard. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I lost that one, but I said, okay, they're a bigger theater. They're going to do that. They're going to snatch that. You know, mm-hmm. we know that. That's the, and that was the reality I had to deal with. Mm-hmm. Right. Then I wanted to do – I Arctar was with Disgrace was just an incredible – you know, he's a incredible playwright. Mm-hmm. We didn't want to do Disgrace. We said, well, let's find one of his other plays that is very cool. Right. And we can sneak under the radar. Mm-hmm. Well, we were going to do Invisible Hand. Mm-hmm. I think, yeah, Invisible Hand. Mm-hmm. Incredible play. Mm-hmm. Couldn't get the rights. Why? Oh, yeah, Marin Theater Company. <laughs> and so what we realized, I realized two things. Mm-hmm. At least I'm picking great plays, yeah. and their production of it was off the hook because mm-hmm. they really are good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But what they'll do because of their position, man, mm-hmm. they can they – can Tie up a play and say, "Well, we're not doing it this year. We'll do right. it next year." But right. they got the rights, right. and so w- when you fight the big theaters like this for pieces, yeah. you're in a no-win situation with that. And we understand that. That's the reality. Right. So we don't talk too much about whatever, whatever. But at least I know I'm picking good stuff. Yeah. Well, I got I got cast in Death of a Salesman at the beginning of the year. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, they suspend rehearsals because right. it turns out somebody else had the rights. That's right. And they had to hunt around because it was the same thing. Nobody had announced it in their season. 
We're talking January. If you haven't announced a show that you're going to do before June, <laughs> there's a problem. And they eventually were able to work it out, and we were we lost a couple of days, maybe three days of rehearsal, and then we right. were back in. But well, you know, it was scary. It's like of all the things in the world, well, people Arthur, are fighting over death of a salesman. Well, let me tell you something though. Arthur Miller's daughter is kind of tough to deal with. Yeah, mm-hmm. she's married to Daniel Day Oh no, I didn't know. And that. we wanted to do the price. Mm-hmm. Now we yeah. did. We did our one of the great productions. The last show I did as an actor was, of course. Uh, um, uh, View from the Bridge. Yeah, and it was a yeah. wonderful production. And it was great. And it was really, people still come up to me and say, man, I can't believe that show. That was amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, but we tried to get the price. We wanted to do the price. And, and, and we just, they wouldn't, you know. And we don't know why or whatever. But, mm-hmm. you know. And, of course, then some people did it on Broadway or whatever. Right. And, uh, but the, I don't know if you have time for this, but the, mm-hmm. Edward, the, no, Ed, I, the yeah. Edward Albee thing really pissed me off. Yeah, Edward Albee was very arrogant. We we did we did one of his plays early on, and you know, it's well, you cannot take any one word out of my play. We talked about this, and (laughs) and now they they're doing they're doing uh, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, Mm -hmm. and they wanted to cast the young guy as a black guy who's a football star, whatever, and it caused all this 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 big humdrum about the 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 casting. The estate refused, you know, and it's like, first of all, the man is dead. Right. Secondly. Arrogance is not to be believed. You have to understand it's a changing world, right? And and that, that that's part of a reality. I not don't just think a changing world. The professor, the black professor, first black professor at a major institution, right. Who started in 1962, right. Just died, right. So, so this is not unreal. That means he was a young professor in 1962. That's true. And so the thing is, is just that I look at some of those things and I just say, well, you know, and on Facebook it was a real, you know. Yeah, yeah. So I just said, hey, you know, don't do his plays. Right. Don't mm-hmm. do his plays then. If that right. is such so restrictive, don't do his plays. And when, right. the, and when the royalty stop coming in, maybe they'll wake up and, well, you know. And was it Mamet that we were talking about who had an issue? Oh, Mamet well, now will not, rel- will not allow um, yeah. – Talkbacks and had a fine. Didn't, right. I think he had like a twenty thousand dollar fine for someone who I don't know. Right. We wanted to do. I wanted to do Oleana, and I wanted the professor to be a woman, mm-hmm. and the student to be a man mm-hmm. to flip the script. Right. Because, and this is only my personal view, but and I hear that from a lot of female uh, artists and actors. Mm-hmm. Mamet doesn't like women. Right. And so his his females and all that kind of stuff are mm-hmm. very stereotypical. Right. Know, so I said, let's do Oleana and let's flip the script. It would be more interesting when the woman is sure. in the power position. Right. And, and, and that's the issue. Yeah. And it was very, very um, current mm-hmm. because right. half these stories in the newspapers of teachers with the students are these young oh, women. These right. women, with, right. Yeah. yeah, with the yeah. Boy, boys. Yeah. It's not right. so much – very, not often it's a guy with the young girls. Right. And and the the response is always different, too. Mm-hmm. Everybody right. says, right. damn, man, I wish I had a teacher. Yeah, right. and yeah. you know, so we know that the, that the whole dynamic is, is mm-hmm. changed. Yeah. So, I, you know, I just uh, I, I look at some of these things and I just say, okay, man, you know, we're going to. I'm not doing any Albie plays. Mm-hmm. I'm just not going to yeah. do it. Yeah. Really? I know. I'm not going to do it. Yeah. And uh, the shout out that I have is uh, basically the, uh, the same. Um, Winter. Winter is still playing yeah. at the Central Works, uh, July 15th through August the 20th. And uh, also at Bindlestiff. Um, another good group. Oh, another good group. Yeah, they have a thing called Pussy Generation. <laughs> uh, which oh, is, I uh, just saw a thing for that today. Yeah, 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 exactly. Uh, I believe directed by Aureen Almario. Um, 
Thursday, Friday, Saturday, um, August the 10th, the 11th, and the 12th, uh, 8 p.m., and uh, Saturday is at 5 p.m. They have a double-double, 5 p.m. and 8 p.m. Wow. And also, uh, a couple of birthdays. Um, Sean Landry is a um, female comedian who's also an actress and director, and uh, we, um, well, she, she turned 52 yesterday, so I wanted to give her... Happy birthday. And uh, mm-hmm. another fellow actor of mine, Avi Jacobson, uh, we were both in 110 in the Shade. His birthday is coming up in uh, another couple of weeks, so yeah, I want to give a shout we'll, out there. We'll, we'll get it. Yeah. <laughs> Richard, thank you so much, man. And uh, uh, anytime I, you want to come back and, you know, when off Broadway West has their um, next schedule, yeah, we want to produce it. We want yeah, to yeah. Well, well I, the only hint I'll give you is we're looking at a play right now, which is a great, one of the great classics. and. And but it really applies to an issue that's going on in a portion of the country, mm-hmm. and uh, you okay. know we try to do things that cause people to think and I like uh, a teaser, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. And, but I, you know, I've done several of these kinds of things. The podcast environment is kind of exploding. It is. And um, I just absolutely love being asked to do stuff like this. <laughs> I don't know whether it's it's my little. Hopefully, you have fun. <laughs> oh, I always have fun with it because you know it's it's. It's, it's, and I think it's important yeah. because um, people are in this world, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, the Facebook, the social media world, whatever. This is part of social media. I'm right. right. And I just think that because the mainstream always is very selective in who is able to talk or be there or mm-hmm. express or whatever, yeah. or you have to have something that you do this big thing. This is letting... That just the, the, the regular people have mm-hmm. a voice. That's yeah. right. And I think that sometimes, I mean, I've done several of these, and it's interesting what we're talking about. It's not, yeah. you know, the usual, let's look at the news and comment mm-hmm. on right, it. Right, exactly. You know. And hopefully, we, you know, we've, we've structured this thing to apply to Bay Area Theater so we can right. help each other out. Right. You know, right. if you want to bring in people into, you know, um, the Phoenix Theater for your show, right. we can promote it, or we can just promote you as an actor. Well, and right. I think it's also just important to survey the terrain of Bay Area Theater exactly to let people right. know what is out there. And and, and, and it's very And people who've been doing it for a long time. And hopefully we're the only podcast that focuses on Bay Area Theater. Well, I, I I don't know. I wouldn't mind competition. That'd be a but, but also the thing is 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 in and being in theater over these last few years and seeing how things have evolved and what what the problems are that we're doing or whatever. Mm-hmm. It is so important for the public mm-hmm. to really hear the voice of something that is part of the Bay Area that is very vital to the Bay Area and has done very well on a lot of different levels. Mm-hmm. And they need to understand that we need to support that. And, and, and that's exactly right. That's exactly right. So this is valuable. Yep. And I thank you very much for inviting me to share this with you. It's of course. And I'll do my usual blurb. You can listen to the Yay. If you have an iPhone, you can use your iPhone podcast app. That's that purple app. You just tap onto it and search for Yay or Norman G or Reg Clay, and you'll find it. If you're using uh, the Android, then you can download the SoundCloud app and um, look on it there. Or if you're an old fogey like some of us, you can look at it on your desktop or laptop and, <laughs> and search SoundCloud.com. <laughs> well, all of us, all of us are in, uh, you know, me. 40s or a past or whatever. <laughs> SoundCloud.com, and you can also search for the A. And that is it. And we got to get a better sign-off. we got to get a better sign-off. <laughs> and we are out. <laughs>